Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crossroads. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm delighted to have a chance to share with you this morning. And uh, <clears throat> we're talking about this when life hits and, you know, especially people who are lonely and waiting. But before we really focus on the lonely part, I want to talk about waiting. Because the truth is we're all waiting for something, it seems like, all the time. And I wasn't one of those people who watched The Simpsons all the time when I was younger, but uh, I, I just this clip always stood out to me because I remember seeing this episode. This is from like the early 90s. And uh, believe it or not, I know I look a lot younger, but I was born before everybody had microwaves in their kitchen. I know that's hard to believe. Some of you can't imagine life without a microwave. But if you wanted to warm something up, you actually had to turn on your oven and wait for it to get warm. Or you had to put something in the pan on the stove and warm it up. And you had to make sure you stir it. And it took a while, much less to cook something. And uh, when I was in college in the 80s, uh, mid-80s, only about a fourth of the people in the, in the United States had a microwave. They were very expensive. So most people still didn't have them. And finally, you know, everybody's starting to get them in their home. And, you know, you can just picture, I remember seeing this thinking, wow, how ludicrous that Homer is so impatient, he can't wait on the microwave. It was the fastest thing we had. Now, 20-some years later, I'm going, yeah, I'm watching the microwave. Going, oh, man, come on, hurry up. Don't you ever have that feeling? Like, you know, we're always waiting on something. I mean, as a kid, I remember I couldn't wait for Christmas. It wasn't so much about the presents. It was about the two weeks off of school. I just couldn't stand it. I mean, I just dreaded, you know, school starting again. Now I got kids, and sometimes, you know, when they get real wound up, I can't wait for school to start back again. You know what it is? So you're, you're always, like, never happy. And when you're waiting for a big decision or trying to figure out what to do, you're waiting for something that's coming up. Sometimes you just get so impatient, you get excited about something. Maybe you're waiting for a job, waiting for direction. I mean, and, and I don't know what it is about Fremont, but it feels like uh, of all the cities I've ever lived in or driven in, I'm waiting at more red lights than any other place I've ever been. I don't know, it's, maybe it's just me and my wife says, honey, calm down, it's just life. But I mean, you're sitting there and your light turns green and you see as you go, you get up to speed, the next one turns red. And I'm thinking, we live in Silicon Valley. Can't somebody figure out how to make the traffic lights more efficient? Maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys are all good. You don't have a problem waiting. Maybe it's just me. I mean, I know I got issues. My wife reminds me. I have, I, but God's working on me. But uh, I don't like waiting. I just don't like waiting. You know, this year has been a year of painful waiting because they, uh, you know, like seven months ago, we had this pad out here cleared and ready to go. And then we ran into some delays. And I'm like, when are they going to start building this building? And finally, this week, they actually came out and started digging. I don't know if you guys can come in on the front, but they dug some big holes out there. You see some dirt moved around. And uh, I, I've just been so tired of waiting. But I, I have a public service announcement with you. I know some of you are so excited now. You're so excited now that something is happening. Please do not walk through the gates and go out and wander around out there and look and see, okay? It's potentially dangerous. It's also against the law. We can get in trouble. And uh, we don't want anyone to get hurt. I know you're curious, but just look through the chain link fence, all right? We don't like to wait. But it's a part of life. And you know, God often causes us to wait. He uses waiting to stretch us, to grow our faith, to cause us to depend on Him. He, a lot of times, in my experience, He kind of shows up at the last minute. So I hope you'll take your outline out, follow along as we, we look at some verses together and take some notes. Uh, we're gonna, this idea of outline, uh, of waiting, God is working in the waiting. God is at work even when you can't see it, even when you don't know what's going on. 
I'll give you a couple examples. When, when uh, at my last church, I was at a church in San Mateo, and the church had some issues. The, our senior pastor had some issues in his life, that he, and it really frustrated a lot of the other leaders. And we're trying to help him make some changes. But he was very resistant. And I prayed for him. I prayed for the church. I prayed to God for two years. What should I do? What should I do? And it didn't seem like anything was happening. So finally I came to the conclusion. I'm just going to. I was a, I was a business major in college. I'm just going to get my resume out. And work it, work it up as a business. And start applying for some business jobs. And I decided I'd leave the church. And be a good businessman somewhere. Be a good church member at some church. And uh, just be a good, committed church member and help out where I could. And I, I just thought, you know, God's not opening any doors. Nothing's happening. And then out of the blue, I mean, totally, I'm not applying for any church jobs or anything. Pastor Paul called me up. He said, hey, would you be interested in coming to talk to me about possibly coming to work with me here at our church in Fremont? And like out of the blue, God had been working. God had been preparing. But I didn't know 15 years ago, God, God was working behind the scenes. And you don't always know what's going on. True story I read this week about a lady. She, uh, she was a single mom. She had three girls. And her oldest daughter was just the sweetest little girl. But as she grew up, she began to become very rebellious. She, she started, her heart started becoming hard. She became defiant to her mom. She was blowing through her curfews and abusing drugs and alcohol. And starting to lead a promiscuous life. And one day, just before she'd even turned 17, her daughter left home. Went out to live on her own, just doing her own thing. And you can imagine this mom, single mom, working hard. She's praying. She's waiting on God. She's not seeing any answers. Finally, her daughter moved to another town. Slave's friends told her, you just need to let her go. She's, you need to focus on your other girls. You've got you to gotta just let her go. But this mom kept praying. Even though she's waiting on God, I can't see anything happening. One day, she got a terrible phone call. She got the call and said, I'm sorry, but we, your daughter's died. We need you to come and clean out her apartment, take her things. And so, you know, the dreaded mom's heart's broken. She's crying all the way over there through the worst part of this town to go into her daughter's place where she'd never been. She didn't even know where her daughter had been living. She's like, what am I going to find in this apartment? And she opens it up and she was surprised. It was actually neat and clean. And she goes in and she's cleaning up the room. She sees an envelope that's addressed to her. Dressed everything with a stamp, but it hasn't been mailed. And so she, she opens it up, and her daughter said, dear, dear Mom, I can't wait to see you next weekend. After all these years, I finally understand what you've been trying to tell me all my life. And I've invited Jesus into my life, and I can't wait to get together with you and share. And, you, you know, the mom had that bittersweet moment, but she knew, in that moment, she knew that one day she was going to be reunited with her daughter. She was going to have her daughter back. She'd been waiting all that time. And it would have been easy to give up on God and think God's not working. But someone shared Christ with her daughter. Someone shared with her. And we, we, can, we can give up. We can quit when we're waiting. And, and sometimes that's the biggest mistake because God's stretching us. He's drawing us out. And a lot of times at the last possible moment, he will answer our prayers and give us what we need. There's a story in the Bible about Samuel. In the, uh, Samuel and Saul. You remember in the Old Testament? Samuel was a, a great prophet and a priest of the people. And the people kept saying, God, we want a king. We want a king. And God was like, no, you don't want a king. You don't know what you're asking for. He'll abuse his position and power. Well, we want a king like the other people. And God finally said, okay, have it your way. 
And so he said, I, I want you to get this guy Saul. He looks like a king. He's a big, strong, strapping guy. He was a good soldier. He had some insecurities. In fact, when they went to pull Saul out up to the front and annoying him, they found him hiding in the baggage. He didn't want to be brought up in front of everybody. He was just kind of hiding out. But he took on his leadership role, and he, he was actually a pretty good, pretty good general. He was pretty generous, but he had a hard time waiting on God. So one, one time there was this situation where all the Philistines had gathered. They were going to wipe out Israel. They were always going at each other, the Philistines and Israel. And Israel had wiped out one of their garrisons. And so the Philistines all got together. So Saul's army saw how huge this army was that was camped against them. And so they started slipping away, running away, deserting the army day by day. And, and Samuel told Saul, wait until I come. Don't take action until I come. I will come. I will pray to God. We'll find, we'll find out what God wants us to do. And I'll offer the sacrifices for you and the troops for your sins and the peace offerings with God. Don't, don't take any action. Just wait. Well, Saul waited and waited and waited. Every day his army was getting smaller. So finally, after seven days, he said, I, I'm just going to do it myself. I, God had commanded them, you know, only the priests were supposed to offer the sacrifices. But Saul said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And he, he offered a sacrifice, he prayed to God. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as he finished, guess who showed up? Samuel showed up. He showed up. And he said, what have you done? What have you done? And Saul made some excuses. And there on your outline, you see his bottom line excuse was, now the Philistines will come against me. This is what I was thinking. They're going to come against me, and I haven't sought God's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I felt like I needed to act. I couldn't wait on God any longer. Samuel said, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Do you underline that phrase? If you had, you would have established your kingdom. God said, I'm looking for someone who's obedient, who's willing to wait for me, to trust me. There are times God says we need to go act, and in our fear, we need to even in our fear, we need to step out of faith. And there's times God says, wait. Don't take things in your own hands. He wasn't the one who was to be offering the sacrifice. And we see time and time again in the Bible that God blesses obedience. God blesses us when we obey. And, and this lesson from, from Saul's life is so powerful for us. You don't want to get ahead of God. You don't want to act on your own. You want to make sure you're, you're seeking God and you're waiting on Him when you need to wait. And it's so hard sometimes. It's so hard when you're... Your spouse isn't changing. And you're praying day after day, God, would you change my spouse? Would you bring back the love in our relationship? When It's so hard when it, at work you're just struggling with an unfair boss. And you're putting your resumes out. You're not finding a job. And you don't know what you should do. It's so hard to wait. But I think one of the hardest times to wait in life is to wait for a spouse or for a partner. Someone to share your life with. So I want us all to be clear that waiting is something we all struggle with. But I want us to think a little bit about this idea of being lonely and waiting. And I'm not just talking to people who are single. You know, you can be married and lonely. You can go through seasons in your marriage where it's just so, you feel so alone, like you're not in it together. You can, you can be lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely with your friends. And as a church family, we need to be sensitive to the needs of our singles, people who want to be married, want someone to share their life with. And God has a message for all of us. You know, as Saul, as Saul was offering, you know, standing there as the leader and his, his spiritual advisor, 
Samuel wasn't there. And I think Saul felt alone. He felt lonely before all those men. What am I going to do? I'm waiting on God. I'm trusting God. He had things he needed to do. He needed to keep his men together. He needed to encourage them. He needed, but it wasn't time to fight yet. And it wasn't time to offer the sacrifice. You know, God said this. In, in the very beginning, you know, everything he made, he said, this is good, this is good. Man was very good. And then he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And God created us for this need for a, a deep relationship, connectedness that m most of us have that longing for. But in, uh, in my lifetime, and, and I've been working with people and doing weddings for 30 years. In my lifetime, I just think it's gotten harder and harder for people to find a good spouse. I don't know what it is. I mean, we've got all these ways you can connect with people online, all these ways you can keep in contact, but just the cultural pressures, the way the way society functions, all the broken relationships and damage, it just seems like it's harder for people to find someone to share their life with. I have some good friends that are about my age who, who've been through uh, a divorce in the last few years. And man, they told me getting back out there and trying to date and find someone to share their, just like horror stories. Sometimes my wife Jennifer and I look at each other and say, I'm so glad we're not out there trying to find, you know, I'm glad I'm not out there trying to date now and find somebody. It's kind of, it's kind of tough. Here's so many stories that people share with me. And I know I've been in a church where if you were single, everybody in that church kind of felt like they made it their mission to make sure I got married. You ever been around where everybody's, maybe your family's been like that? You feel like there's all this pressure, right? And, and we don't want to be... We don't want to be that kind of church because some people are single and happy. They're called to be single. Some people are single and content. Some people don't want the pressure. But when you're single, it's like sometimes people feel sorry for you. They want to give you all this advice or encouragement. And a lot of times it's not very helpful. So look at some of these examples of some things that aren't helpful, some mistakes we want to avoid. So watch this with you. Aren't you still single? There's someone out there for you. Jesus is your boyfriend now. Meet and greet's coming up. You know what to do. The key is to act like you don't care. It happens when you don't expect it. Who are you bringing to the wedding? If I was a girl, I'd date you. Who can we set you up with? Sorry, couples only. Have you tried internet dating? She looks single. You know who else wasn't married? Paul. All single ladies. All single ladies. Come on. It happens when you're not looking. Work on your smile. He's single. You know who else wasn't married? Jesus. It's okay to be a fifth wheel. Maybe if you give God one of your ribs, he'll give you a wife. You should change your name. You know who else wasn't married? Matthew. No, he was married. You should be my cousin. Just pray about it. Pray harder. This series is on marriage. You don't need to pay attention. You're not that old yet. You can't settle. You know, you might want to think about settling. There's plenty of fish in the sea. We're going to celebrate not having Valentine's Day. If she says, you're like my best friend, that's bad. You should try overflow. Maybe she can see you tired. You know, when you have a wife, you can't play as much Xbox. You should get a dog. Have you asked Jesus for a wife? Are you on Christian Mingle? Have you? Have you tried this? This looks good. I have a great book for you to read. It's called the Bible. Jesus is your girlfriend now. Dude, you have to get someone hot because you're going to be married to them forever. You are going to make such a cool aunt. It's not about you. You know, there's no marriage in heaven. It's all about you. I don't know. Is he a Christian? It's about Jesus. I know people who got married when they were like 70, okay? You're fine. Marriage is like a sandwich. It takes a long time. You're not going to make your husband out of the bar. Do you want to be Jim and Pam, or do you want to be Ross and Rachel? For it is better to be unmarried. See?
Okay, you, that's not the guy you want to be your friend, right? If you're okay. Not helpful. Okay. Well, in the next few minutes, I want to share some things I hope are helpful to you if you're here and you're lonely and waiting. Whether you're waiting on someone to share your life with, you're just waiting for a great friend. And I know it'll be encouraging to our church family to think about the needs of those around us. So if you want God's best for your life, I want to give you three suggestions. Uh, and then I want to share some things that you can do while you're waiting, some productive things. So I want to challenge you during this waiting season, first of all, to make some commitments that you're going to follow Christ. You're going to keep him first and you're going to do your dating or your seeking or your waiting God's way. And so number one, I want to encourage you, don't compromise emotionally. Don't compromise emotionally. You know, Proverbs, it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You know, you got to protect your heart. That means protect what you're thinking about, what you're giving your heart to, what direction, you know, who are the people you're hanging around with who are influencing you and, and directing you. Guard your heart. Don't give your heart away too quickly. And when I was uh, in high school, you know, I'm just, I mean, I'm just a teenage boy. I like girls. I'm going out on dates. I know it's hard for some of you to believe, but I had some dates in high school. <laughs> going out on dates. And, uh, you know, one time I'm going out with this girl, and my mom says, oh, tell me about her, you know. My mom said, well, is she a Christian? I said, I don't know, Mom. I mean, I'm just going out to have a good time. You know, we're just going to go out and have some pizza and watch a movie and talk. And mom, Mom's like, well, you don't know who you're going to fall in love with. You don't know who you're going to wind up marrying. Maybe you might marry this. Mom, I don't even want to think about marriage. You know, I'm 17, right? But you know what? There's some wisdom in what my mom was saying. You know, if you're going to go out with people and hang around and be with them and you start liking them and you could fall in love with them, but you haven't really guarded your heart and you allow yourself to fall for someone that you know is not really the best fit for you or the best match for you. In other words, I, you know, before you allow yourself to just go out and start dating and spend a lot of time with somebody, and maybe falling in love with them. Do you know what you're really looking for in a spouse? What are your deal breakers? Like for me, honestly, my mom was very wise. You know, ultimately, I don't, I don't, didn't want to marry someone who's not a Christian, someone who's not following Christ. I mean, that's a deal breaker for me. Maybe you're a cat person and they're a dog person. That be, could be a deal breaker, right? Maybe you want kids and they, maybe you want five kids and they want no kids. That could be a deal breaker. I mean, maybe they love the Raiders and you love the Niners. That's a deal breaker, right? I don't know. Could be, so whatever it is for you. But you want to, you know, you, you have to be careful. I mean, you don't want to wall a bunch of people off. But at the same time, if there's somebody I know that I wouldn't be a good match for, why allow yourself, why spend time, why invest that emotional energy? So along the way, I kind of developed this philosophy. I don't know if I heard this from someone. I don't know where I got this. But we'll say in there under number one is avoid recreational dating. Avoid recreational dating. Date on purpose. You know, what's the purpose of dating? Is it just because you don't have anything to do on Friday night and you're bored and you're lonely and you, you want to go out and you think she's cute or whatever and she's going to meet your needs and make you happy for a night or for the weekend? What is your purpose in dating? See, recreational dating is where people fall in love with you that they never, they thought, they, if they really thought it through ahead of time, they'd know this person is not the right fit for me. But you just go out because you're bored, you're lonely. That's what you do on Friday night. So it's, 
As you're dating, it's important to date. It's important to spend time with the opposite sex and learn how to relate with them. I mean, come on, we're, we're very different species, men and women, right? We think different, we act different, we, and, and we need to be around people and kind of learn what kind of, what kind of woman do I like or what kind of man do I like? We need to date, but date on purpose. My mom used to encourage me to date in groups, and I thought, that's just weird. But it's, you know what, it's good when you first are getting to know someone. It's really helpful if you had some chances to spend time with them together around other people, and you see how they interact with their friends and how they treat each other, who they are. Get to know them. Develop a friendship before you get so involved that now you're, you're giving them your heart, but there's something in the back of your head saying, this isn't a great match. So, um... You know, when, when uh, Jennifer, my wife, Jennifer and I started dating, you know, and, well, we weren't quite dating yet. I was trying to convince her to date me. It took some convincing. <laughs> and we, we like to go for walks up in the hills. Like, we were up in Pacifica walking up above the ocean in the hills. And we're walking around. And I don't know, at one point she was throwing pebbles at the back of my head. I'm not sure why. But anyway, we were, we were talking about, you know, she, she was trying to scare me away. She said, you know, I, I, I want you to know I don't date just for fun. I don't date recreationally. I was like, well, good. Me neither, because I'd like, I'm dating. I'd like to, if, if I'm going out with you and I figure out that we're not going to be a good match, then why should I keep going out with you? I'm looking for a wife, someone to share my life with, and someone to help me raise my son. So I think that scared her more than she scared me. <laughs> like the reverse thing. But, you know, if you're going to start dating someone and you're just going out because you're lonely and it's something to do, and you get your emotions tied up and your time tied up, then you don't have time to really be looking for someone who might be a good match for you. You're not really available. You've got yourself all, yeah, you're having fun. You're with this person. They might be a nice person, but you're, you're just, you're dating. You're not dating on purpose. This, this is going to sound kind of, I don't mean this to sound negative, but it's almost like when you're dating, you're weeding out people. Once you, you know, that, that aren't a fit for you. Not that they're weeds, but, you know, they're just not the right fit for you. So you're, you're dating and you don't want to get yourself tied up and consumed with someone that's not, you know, really is not going to go anywhere. I'll give you an example. I had a cousin, an older cousin when I was uh, young in South Carolina. I looked up to this cousin, Bruce. He was a little older than me. And he, he was a very committed Christian. And he, he decided that God, he felt God called him to be a pastor. So he went to college. Then he went to seminary. He met this really nice girl at church. She loved the Lord. They started dating. And one thing led to another. He, you know. Proposes and she says, look, there's no way I'm going to marry a pastor. I don't want that life. I don't want to be married to a pastor. So he had to make a decision. And he walked away from the call that he felt God had on his life. And he became a businessman. Nothing wrong with being a businessman, but he felt God called him to be a pastor. And, and he, here he is on this journey trying to follow God. And in, in my opinion, that was something that should have been a deal breaker. Someone who's going to take you away from what God has called you to do. So you don't want to just date recreationally. You need to be on purpose. Getting to know that person. Getting to know their values. Are, are you, is there someone that you could share your life with? Second thing is uh, dating recreationally leads to uh, a lot of issues. And number two, don't compromise physically. Don't compromise physically. So God made us for an emotional relationship, and he created and designed us, you know, for a physical relationship. And I hope you hear me loud and clear, you know, God, God created sex, it's a good thing. He's not anti-sex, but he created it for a purpose. And when you misuse it, it can be very, very destructive. You know, you look at every good thing that God created, and, it, and Satan's taken it and twisted it and warped it. 
I mean food. Come on, how many of you like food? Can food be abused? Yeah. I mean, I don't think in and of itself a glass of wine is a bad thing. But can wine be abused? Yeah. I mean, is sleep a good thing? Can sleep be abused? I mean, definitely, you know, so you, you can fall in love with sleeping, right? Or boy, life, you sleep too much. Well, same thing. You think about this idea of sexuality. Over the years, I haven't seen too many things that are as destructive as misused sexuality. Broken hearts, sexually transmitted diseases, destroyed marriages, destroyed relationships, unplanned children, people whose, whose life paths are, are you know, totally disrupted because they allow themselves to get to compromise out of loneliness, out of a physical, natural physical desire, but they didn't set up out ahead of time to say we're not going to compromise. And God warns us. And one of the things, the reason I think it's so hard dating is our world says, hey, two consenting adults should do whatever they want to do. What, if it feels good, do it. But there's the emotional baggage and the spiritual baggage that goes with it. God tells us over and over again. In Hebrews 13, it says, Marriages should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Without getting into a long discussion about what is and what is not sexual immorality, understanding in the Bible time these words, what they mean uh, when you do a study, they understood this to mean sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what God's word was saying to them. Just a simple definition. Anything outside of that was sexual immorality. Jesus even condemned looking at a woman lustfully. Looking at a woman lustfully because it's going to take you down that road where you're going to compromise. You're looking at someone made in the image of God. You're looking at them as just something to satisfy you and your physical needs. And then you, you begin to compromise. So God wants to protect us. Paul gives some great advice in 2 Timothy. He said, run from anything. You serve that word, anything? Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. That could be pornography. could be a Victoria's Secret catalog. It could be uh, romance novels. could be, I don't know what it is for you, but he says run from it. Instead, pursue righteous living. Decide ahead of time you're not going to compromise. Don't allow these things to come into your life and pull you astray down a destructive path. And then he gives the great plus side. He says... Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. He says, make sure the people you surround yourself, the people that influence you the most, are people who are committed to following God. They have the same values you do. That they're not going to tempt you and, and pull you away. That they're not going to encourage you. You know, they're not going to be dragging you down on spring break trip to Mexico or Florida, right? Hey, let's go have a good time. There's a lot of girls down there. They're not, you don't want enjoy the companionship of people who have pure hearts who are trying to follow God. You need, that's why we encourage you to get into a small group, wherever you're at in life, whether you're married or single, you need people around you that have the same values that you, you want to have and you want to follow God. And we have uh, four young adult groups, you know. Especially if you're you're single and you're, you're lonely, get connected with some other people. Look on the website and get connected. And then number three, don't compromise spiritually. When you compromise emotionally and physically, it gets easier and easier to compromise spiritually. And uh, you know, over and over through the Bible, God told him, told His people in the Old Testament, He told the Jews, don't marry those women, don't marry those men. From the other nations around you. 
It had nothing to do with the color of their skin or the country they were from. It had everything to do with their religion. Because then whole nations would follow the same gods or God or their religion. And God didn't want them to compromise spiritually. He didn't want them to marry someone who had a different heart. Now, all through the Bible we can see this principle. As I was reading this week, I this verse kind of, I found it sort of amusing. So I wanted to share it. I just thought this is a weird verse to have in the Bible. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. I mean, why would the Bible tell us that? You know? There's a lot of verses in the Bible that tell us we, we should treat animals kindly. There's a lot of verses that say, and, and so it would be cruel to yoke a donkey, who by itself is pretty strong, but to yoke a donkey with a big ox, and then all day long that ox is going to drag that poor donkey around. You know, wear that donkey, that would be cruel. It also wouldn't be very productive. There's a principle there. It's not going to be the best use of your farm animals to put a big strong animal and a weaker animal together to pull a plow just cruel. God, there's a principle there. God doesn't want us to do that. God says he told this to the nation of Israel. He gives this picture like God is the, uh, the bride and the nation of Israel is like the bridesmaid or his bride, just like Christ and the church and the New Testament. And, and he calls his bride to follow him. But they kept following and worshiping other gods. And God said, this is like spiritual adultery. You won't follow with me. You won't go along with me. And in Amos, he says this, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? God's like, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to walk with you. And I'm trying to take you my way, but you want to go your way. Can two people walk together? Not unless you're Gumby. You gotta have a really long stretching arm. You can't walk together if you're not going in the same direction. It's difficult. Paul says this: do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Let me just encourage, I mean. I think for anybody who's single and waiting, if you want God's best for your relationship, you need to decide ahead of time. You're not going to compromise in these three areas. Now, does God care about unbelievers? Yes. Uh, okay, thank you. I right. hope you guys are a little more convinced. <laughs> Jesus went to the cross for unbelievers, okay? Me and you were, all of us were unbelievers at some point. Some of us still are, and that's fine. We're glad you're here. Jesus cares deeply about people who are far from God. He says, that's why I came, to seek and to save those who are lost, those who are far from God. And he commanded us to care about unbelievers. He loves unbelievers. He's not saying don't associate with them, don't hang out. He's saying don't join your life together. Now, if you're here and you're married, you're a believer and your spouse isn't, the Bible, Paul also talks about that. Hey, you're commanded to stay together, to pray for your spouse, to love them, to by your example. Try to help influence them to come to Christ. But I know, I know from growing up in the church, from being a pastor or, or on church staff for over 30 years, I've seen so many couples who aren't spiritually equal, and they it's just a it's just a tug of war. You know, you can't, if you're a follower of Christ and your spouse doesn't love the Lord, you can't share what should be the most important thing in your life. And, you know, you go to church, and I know women have told me, men have told me, I wish my wife would come with me. I wish she was here with me. And there's that pull on that kind of pulls you away a little bit. And I've had a couple of spouses tell me who aren't believers, man, why does my wife have to be at the church all the time? And you start resenting it. And so it's just, you're going trying to go two different directions, and God's trying to protect you. 
So I would just encourage you, don't compromise emotionally, don't compromise spiritually, don't compromise physically. It's very, if you want God's blessing, He blesses your obedience. Wait, wait. Don't, sometimes people say, well, I'm not going to find you by a church, but this guy likes me, he's pretty nice, he treats me good, I'm going to marry, I'll hang out with him and maybe we'll get married one day or her. And you compromise. Wait. Trust God that He loves you, that He wants what's best for you. It's hard. I'm, I, I am totally sympathetic. It's hard to wait for someone. God created you with these needs. So what can you do while you're waiting? How can you be productive? How can you make the most of that time? I want to encourage you as you wait. This isn't on your outline, but wait expectantly. Like wait in hope or trust. Like God, I believe you're my father. I believe you love me. I believe you want the best for me. I believe Jesus died for me. You proved your love for me on the cross. And as hard as it is, I don't know why you're not giving me this, but I'm going to trust you. And pray about what it is you want. You know, tell God your heart's desires. My wife Jennifer was at a singles uh, conference or message, and the, the speaker said, write down a list of what, what you want God to give you in a spouse. So she went home. She's an overachiever. She wrote down 50 things. <laughs> so when we started going out, she started, she like compared the list and I don't know. I, I met a lot of things on the list, but I didn't meet tall, dark, and handsome. Okay. <laughs> she even wrote things on her like shoe size. Like they said, just challenge God, be specific. So I remember her checking out my shoes, like when they were on, that's weird. Why are you looking at my shoes? Anyway. <laughs> tell God what you want while you're waiting. But while you're waiting, there's some practical things you can do that will help you. Number one, connect with your church family. I hope if you're here and you're lonely and waiting, I hope you never feel that you're looked at as less than because you're not married. Quite the opposite. We're glad you're here. And, and we're going to look in a minute. Paul says it's better to be single than married. So you know, <laughs> I think that's from a married person. <laughs> Oh, it's better, but God's placed us in a family. Look what it says in uh, Psalm 68. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God sets the lonely in families. Can you underline that phrase? All through the Bible, there's something about God and God's heart. He has compassion for the weak and the lonely and the defenseless. And let me tell you, in that culture, to be an orphan or a widow was a tough life. It's a lot easier today, but it's still hard. This is God sets the lonely in families. And in the New Testament, what is one of the main descriptions of the church? The family. The family. I know some of you are going, you know, hey, the holidays are coming up, and you don't know about my family. I don't know, really know if I want another family, because the one I got is kind of dragging me down. Okay, this is God's family, right? We're not perfect, but we're, it's God's family People who are trying to follow Christ and become better. And I can't tell you how so many of you in this church family, you've blessed me. Like, you're like my family. And I see how you care for each other. You know, some family members, you know, are closer to the, and some members are closer over here. But you care for each other. You look out for each other. It's a place where you can, can have connection and not be alone. When God says it's not good for man to be alone. It doesn't mean everybody has to be married. We're a church family here. We we provide a place for people to connect and love each other. We have fun together. How many of you came out Friday night to the fall festival? Yeah. Where's the pictures? Oh, there you go. Thank you. 
We had a good time. I noticed they don't have any crime scene pictures up there of all the people dunking the pastors. That was wrong. Yeah, I see that. Where's the uh, where's security? Uh, anyway, there was, some of you were a little too happy to dump the pastors, but we had a great time together. And what was cool is like we had junior hires and high school students working alongside senior citizens and parents doing these games for the little kids and having fun together. It was a lot of fun. So we had a good time. You know, with the holidays, um, I, I, I've invited people over. People invited me when I was single. I, I know people in our church do. You know, you think that's a tough time to be alone at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Well, if you're connected with some single adults in our church who don't have anywhere to go, invite them over. And if you're the single adult, don't don't go, oh, no, I'm not going to come because you're thinking you're going to be in the way. If they invite you, they really want you there. Go, have a good time, connect, be a part of the family. So um, let me say a few things about how, how, what we, I hope we are as a church at Crossroads. At Crossroads, we want to be a safe place to be single. A safe place where you don't feel pressured that you're less than, that you need to get married. A safe place where you can come and connect with God and you can meet some other people. You can build some healthy relationships that you're valued and loved. At Crossroads, we want to be a safe place. If you're looking for someone to share your life with, if you're looking, we want to be a safe place where you can come and meet other single adults who might want to get married. I don't know what it is why so many single Christians think it's unspiritual to go to look for a spouse at church. Where else do you think God wants you to look for a spouse? I don't know. Maybe at work or school, but that's kind of a crapshoot, right? You don't know if they're, they're a follower of Christ or, you know, what are, I don't know. Who are these people? It's okay. Now, I was talking to a single friend a couple weeks ago, and she told me, oh, I'd really like to get married. And there's a couple guys in the in, around the church, I think, maybe, but we're such good friends. I don't want to ruin our friendship. And I understand the fear. I understand the fear. But I encourage, encourage this person, pray. Pray about Pray about that person. Hang out with them in groups. Really, really think, could this person be someone for me before you even open that door, right? But then let me tell you something. If you refuse to compromise physically... It's a lot easier to survive a relationship that doesn't work out if you haven't been physically involved. Amen. So it's, it's a lot easier. So let's say you take a risk and you go out with your friend. If you do it God's way, if things don't work out and you determine that you shouldn't be together, it's a lot easier to survive if you haven't been physically involved. But we want to be a safe place for that. You know, the church is only so big, maybe you can't find someone for you. And, I, and, I, and these days, a lot of people go on the internet, like the extended church, right? And I know some people have found some great Christian matches on, online. Let me just, and that's okay, but let me just give you a couple words of advice about that. When you meet somebody online, you don't really know if everything they're presenting to you is really who they are. So you've got to be careful. I'm not saying necessarily suspicious, but be careful. You need a little extra time. And, and let me urge you. You want to see that person around their friends and around their family. How do they treat women? How do they treat girls? What are their attitudes? Do they have any healthy friends? If you're connecting with someone online and they never want to be around with you with any of their friends, that's like a red flag. I mean, if they never want you to meet their friends or hang out with any of their friends, or do they have healthy friendships? Because you don't want to give your heart to someone that doesn't have any healthy friendships. Are they married? Do they have some baggage that you don't know about? I mean, I, believe me, I've heard some horror stories. Someone was getting ready to get married. They found out this person not only had been married, their divorce wasn't final, and they had two kids. This person didn't even know about. I mean, you got to, I'm just saying, be careful. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying 
Background checks, okay? So, <laughs> Google, Google them or something. I know, I know people, we have people in our church, they met online, they have great marriages, so it's, you know, that's extended church family. But just because they're on Christian mingle doesn't mean they're Christian or committed to Christ, okay? And then the church, we can be a place where when you're struggling, you can be honest with each other. You build some trust and you can have some accountability. James says, confess your sins to each other. You know, if you mess up, you're not an outcast. God's not done with you. you. Have someone you trust you can talk to about it. And then pray for each other so you may be healed. So we want to be a safe place. You know, while you're waiting, be productive. Connect with your church family. Number two, this is more for the church. For those of you who, who are married, I want to encourage you to be intentional about caring for those who are lonely. Caring for those who are lonely. Oh, wait, I got a note here. On the last thing about looking for a spouse, one of my single friends last night told me, make sure you encourage singles. Okay, waiting on God doesn't mean just you're sitting at home going, God, send them to me. I'm going to go to church. <laughs> Have her sit right beside me. If she's she the one, let her sit by me. You've got to be proactive. You've got to... You gotta take some risks. You gotta get out there and meet somebody. You can't just sit home feeling sorry for yourself playing Xbox all weekend, okay? Get involved. Okay, I'm sorry, I forgot to say that. I thought that was good advice. So, church care for the lonely. Carry each other's burdens. Can you underline that phrase? Galatians 6 2. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let me encourage you to pray for your single friends, whether they wanna be married or not. Maybe they're a widow. Maybe they're lonely. They're missing their husband. Maybe they went through a divorce. Maybe they want to be married. But pray. Carry their burden. Be intentional about praying for them. Pray that God will help them to have good, healthy friendships. To, to be encouraged. To, to be able to keep themselves pure. And if they want to stop, pray for God to bring a godly man or woman into their life. <clears throat> you know, I have a friend here at Crossroads. He looked back at his emails. He started coming here in 2007. We started having lunch or coffee together every couple months, and he shared his heart with me. And I've been praying for him for eight years to find someone to share his life with. So he's going to get married next month. I get to do his wedding. But I felt a little bad. I said, you know what? Maybe you should ask a different pastor to pray. It took eight years. <laughs> and he said, you know what? He, he wasn't ready. God was preparing him. He, he met a lot of people. He was proactive. He, he went online. He had a lot of first dates when he knew it wasn't a, uh, there were some deal breakers. He moved on to, he didn't get all tangled up and emotional, emotionally. And he said, you know what? Eight years ago, the person he's going to marry would have been too young. They were, they were too earlier in life. So, you know, it was God's timing. But man, if you're single and you're waiting, ask some of your, your Christian friends in church to pray for you. Some of the couples. And if you're open to this, ask them if they need anybody that they they think might be a good match for you. If you give people permission, I am never going to set you up unless you ask me to try. But maybe maybe you, you, you're open like, hey, if you know somebody, you, you have somebody in your family or your friends or your circle that might be a good relationship, give somebody permission. Let them pray for you. Maybe even introduce you to someone. Who knows where that might lead. Okay, so. Totally lost my place. Oh, I love this verse. You know, we've all been lonely and waiting at different times or waiting for things. Second Corinthians, God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Sometimes you need to be there for somebody. 
you're a man and you see a lonely guy, you just, I just need to be there and listen and hang out. Go the extra mile. Or a woman, take, take another woman. You know, you, you've been lonely away. Just be intentional about blessing them, thinking about maybe some of their needs. All right, number three. This is important too. Leverage your singleness for service. Leverage your singleness for service. You know, in First uh, Corinthians 7, Paul gives a lot of instructions about marriage and singleness. And, and he, he says, you know, he had the gift of being able to be single. He, he wasn't unhappy being single. He said, if you're, happy be, if you're not happy being single, uh, I think one verse says, if you're even burdened with passion, then marry. He says, if you're not happy being single, then, then marry. But he said, the world is tough. The church was being persecuted. He said, it's better if you could stay single. He says, I wish you were single like me. Okay, let's remember, God created marriage. Marriage is good. Sex within marriage is good. Um, but but the, we're living in a sin-filled, fallen world. So Paul is saying, hey, if you can be single, your life's going to be easier. All right, get some amens on that one too. But <clears throat> anyway, here's what Paul said. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. Right? You have some responsibilities. Happy wife is a happy life. You, think, you can't just... When I was single and I was doing high school ministry, when I was single and I was doing college ministry, man, I could hang out with the guys in my ministry. If they called me up, hey, I'm hurt, my girl broke up with me, or what are you doing, let's go hang out. I could just pick up and go whenever I wanted. You know, hang out 10, 11, 12 o'clock, college students, you just out. You know, if I do that with my wife, I'm going to be in trouble, right? I mean, she's not going to be happy I'm coming in at 1 or 2 o'clock every night because I've been hanging out with the boys, right? When you're single, you have more flexibility, you have more time, you have more energy that you can devote. So don't just sit back and feel sorry for yourself, or, but get involved. Find somewhere to serve. And who knows, as you serve, God may bring someone in alongside you that would be, wow, maybe a match. Who knows? God works in funny ways. But you leverage your time. God will meet your need at just the right time. Trust Him. Be proactive. Get out there and live life. Take some risks. It doesn't, waiting doesn't mean just sitting back. But it means not forcing the issue and taking things in your own hands either. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He talked about, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. You know, don't worry about all that stuff. He says, if you seek God's kingdom first, He'll give you what you need. And I like how... It says the same thing basically in Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Love God. Live for him. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. So come to God. Pour out your heart, your disappointment, your loneliness, your hurt, your pain, your frustration. Be real. If you're frustrated, you're feeling lonely, talk to God. Tell Him what you want. But I hope also you say, God, no matter what, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to take the light in you. And I'm going to trust when I'm ready and the person that you want to bring into my life for me is ready, you're going to make it happen. You're going to help us to meet. So would you uh, pray with me? I want to say, first of all, you know, sometimes as you're getting ready to pray, I just ask you to pray silently in your heart. But sometimes we expect a person to meet a need that only God can meet. 
if you're here and, and you may have a deep loneliness and you're even in a good marriage or you're happy with your relationship, but you have a deep loneliness, something is missing deep inside. Maybe it's God. You just need to cry out and say, God, please forgive me. I believe Jesus is who he said he was. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Fill me. Meet those deepest needs because we were made for a relationship with God. And then pour out your heart to God. If you're lonely and waiting, just talk to God right now. Tell him how you feel. It's okay to tell God you're disappointed. He's making you wait so long. Asking to help you trust him as you wait. To put the right people beside you. If you're here and you're, you're married, or you're single and you're happy, pray for some of your single friends right now that you know they would like to have somebody to share their life with. God, you created us for a relationship. You created us for a deep relationship with you. And you designed us to have a relationship with another man or another woman. But it's not, it's, it's an emotional, a physical, and a spiritual union. And God, sometimes we, we, we just long for that when it's not in our lives. God, right now, I want to pray for anyone here today who's especially lonely, discouraged, feeling hopeless, ready to compromise. God, would you, would you just pour out your love in their heart? Help them to sense your care and compassion for them. And help them to trust you in your timing, as hard as it might be. Lord, help us to be a a healthy church family that cares about the burdens of all. Help us to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling, who are lonely. Lord, thank you for this church family, a place where we can not only come together and have fun, but we can support ourselves during the tough times. Lord, I thank you for how so many in this church love Jean Striplin and love Lloyd during Jean's last days. And as she's passed, Lord, I pray for Lloyd because I know he's going to have a deep loneliness without his life. Comfort him. Help him to sense your presence. And God, would you use us to, to bring that love you have for us? Help us to share that love with others who 